This podcast, number 841 with Dr. Travis Perry, is brought to you by Dr. Steve Berman, author of a new book entitled Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, Core Principles for Helpers and Healers. I'm happy to say that Steve's book is about the journey he took to find alternative ways of treating his patients. He is someone who looked for non-surgical cures and uses hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming as simple but quite effective means to help patients deal with their many ailments. His new book, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, is a book for the healthcare givers as well as anyone wanting to learn how effective these techniques are in dealing with your own health issues, but most importantly, how to treat patients psychologically, which makes a huge difference in the outcome and cure of their ailments and diseases. If you want to learn more about Dr. Steve Berman and his new book, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, please visit his website at www.healingbeyondpills.com. That's www.healingbeyondpills.com. And now for our featured podcast, I hope you enjoy listening to my interview with Dr. Travis Perry about his new book, Achieving Balance, the Make Time Method to Help Advisors Reach Business and Personal Goals in an Overworked World. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from, you're in Dallas, Texas or Austin, Texas? Austin, Texas area. Yeah. Austin, Texas is Dr. Travis Perry. He's a PhD. And Travis is a, got a book. It's a number one best-selling book called Achieving Balance. Um, he's an interesting uh, story, and we're going to get into that. Travis, good day to you. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Thanks for good. having me today, Greg. Well, it's a pleasure learning a little bit about your story, getting your book in digital format. Is the book still now just available in digital format off of Amazon or how in the world? Ah, yeah, he's got a copy got, in his hand. This is the proof copy. It'll be available March 24th for those listening in the paperback copy. They can get on at Amazon, but they, if they go to achievingbalance.com or excuse me, achievingbalancebook.com, mm-hmm. they'll be able to get it for shipping only on March 24th. So grab it for just, you know, a little bit more than what it would cost on Kindle, but get it in a paperback version. Okay. So right now, as we speak, it's Kindle. You can go up there and pre-order it. I take it. Is that correct? And it'll be available. Mm -hmm. And then if they want to order from your website, which we're going to give them the link to your website as well, um, they can go ahead and do that. Well, they can download it for free right now for the PDF version and get it on Kindle or um, and if they're on the the free PDF version, the the list, I'll send them a reminder for the March twenty fourth, where they can get the paperback for um, shipping. shipping. Perfect, perfect. Well, let me let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. We were just talking about your bio. I said I had the extended version of the bio, and I will tell my listeners if you want to go to Dr. Perry's site. It's travisperry.com, T-R-A-V-I-S, and that's P-A-R-R-Y, P-A-R-R-Y. And I'll repeat that a few times because I know how easy it is for people to get confused. There at his website, um, you can learn more about his podcast, his book, his services, and the places he's spoken. Um, 
He's very well recognized in the financial services industry, which we're going to talk a, a bit about. So Dr. Travis Perry is the author of the number one best-selling Achieving Balance. He's earned several degrees in his uh, in family and social science to better understand stress and goal achievement. Uh, Travis founded Make Time Institute to help financial professionals and business owners achieve work-life balance. More importantly, he is a homeschooling father of six incredible kids that you can see right behind him on the screen there. And even more incredible is the, his wife, because she had to have all of those children. Right. So, she did uh, the hard work. And she does do the hard work because she's got to help take care of all of them. I'm sure it's a it's a family thing. They do it together. And um, the kids are amazing and talented. And he's been married for 18 years. Well, congratulations on that. I only have you by a few. I'm at 43 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, it is a wonderful thing, the institution of marriage and having kids and a family. And I really like that. Well, you know, I've t told the listeners a little bit about you, but you and I have a similar story about our fathers. And I think this is a great place because it's a defining moment. Uh, yeah. It's a defining moment for you. Uh, it was definitely a defining moment for me. But this compelling story, your father died of a heart attack at age 49. Yeah. And the movie, the story was so moving, the way you told it in the book, um, that I'd like to have you tell the audience and what actually happened to you as a result of that. I mean, obviously, for me, you know, I know we look at our paths I saw my dad die with very little life insurance. So I yeah. entered the life insurance business and became a million dollar roundtable producer. And all of my listeners out there who know me, uh, I never made it to top of the table, but I made it to court of the table. And I was so compelled to help families make sure that there was enough uh, if something like that happened. So tell our listeners a little bit about you and, and what, what drove you to do what you do. Yeah, kind of the the short is I, I left the family business to go to college and try to figure out how to make a, a better way. Um, and uh, for myself, I felt like the, the family plumbing business, which my dad and his dad were part of, I would have been the third generation, which is almost unheard of in America today. It's like less than 3% actually make it to the third generation or something like that. Um, and so I, there I, I wanted to be in the financial profession. I had a friend who kind of told me about his lifestyle. I'm like, that's the lifestyle I want. I was really focused on work-life balance. And I just didn't see it with a lot of business owners. And even, even my own father, he did a great job. He showed up to our games and he prioritized things. He really was um, trying to make that happen. But I wanted to do it even even better. And so while I was at school, I, I realized I could become an an advisor while I was still in school. And I was making more than probably some of my professors as an intern um, with Northwestern Mutual beginning my, my career as an advisor. Um, so when dad passed away and dad, you know, he and I were really close. We mountain biked all the time. In fact, our last conversation, which I didn't put in the book, our last conversation, he was bragging to me <laughs> in his humble way. And it was like, hey, Trav, how fast did you make it up this mountain bike trail? This is our favorite trail. I was like, Dad, I think, you know, I was like 12 minutes or something like that. I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, why, Dad? <laughs> What's your new time? And he's like, 
under 11 minutes, you know, and he was kind of bragging about he was in great health. He was fit. He was active. And it was actually on that trail, Greg, um, in a very specific spot that I know of and I've been to is where he actually um, had a massive heart attack and died. And when I heard the news that day, I was in total shock because here's my dad, healthy Superman, doing everything, part of the community. You know, I just, I thought, no, for sure, somebody got it wrong. Like the details just can't be right. And and it just did not add up in my mind. Um, But when I was standing in front of, you know, see, you know, 750,000 people, you know, a standing room only for his funeral and looking at the impact that he made on the community, um, that was impressive. The people that showed up to be there for him. But more impressive as I sat down and write his obituary, what he actually accomplished in his short life of 49 years, that changed my life forever. And I thought, man, I'm helping people. And actually, my very first death claim was my father taking his life insurance and helping my mom get resituated in her new life was truly a godsend. Uh, and, and I was so grateful that he had some planning in place. Some. Um, I, I wish there were, you know, some some other things, but, you know, we won't get into that. I hope I, I, and I hope that we all take a look at our own plans. But um, what I was really grateful for is that experience where I sat down because I had to write his obituary and I started thinking about all the different areas of my life going, wow, you're doing good in your career, but what about your physical health? What about all these areas that um, for, for all intents and purposes, when I was giving the last talk at his funeral, I had this overwhelming experience that Travis, you really need to make some changes <laughs> and you need to make them now. It's time to make some of those changes. And as I did, I started to see that the industry, the financial planning industry that claims to help people with their lifestyle and so that, you know, take away their financial stress so that they could be less stressful was actually putting a lot of burden and stress on advisors. And so I actually left Northwestern and thought, well, maybe that stress is coming from Northwestern itself. And And so I left and and began my own practice and hung my own shingle to do my own thing. And as I started. No, it's an industry disease. Um, Yeah, it really is. Well, you know, because it's, it's, you know, if you have a high ego drive and you get in the business, that's what they look for. Right. Right. Uh, You're a psychologist and so am I. So you understand this. Uh, They want people with tons of drive. They want people that can take rejection. They want people that are are going to stick it out because the attrition rate is so high. You understand so how high, high the attrition rate is. It's like a 90% attrition rate, I think, the last time you did it. Um, so, you know, I I said to you, you know, I was involved. I was a million-dollar roundtable, but you wrote this book to assist community to find balance and purpose in their yeah. life. Um, and you have this thing called the make time method. Right. And I want you to tell, because if there are financial planners, listeners, which there will be, and there are financial people that are listening to this that are running a practice, I think it's getting better, Travis. Um, yeah. It's obviously getting better because people are understanding how important purpose is in their life versus just driving for financial gain, um, which I think the industry was stuck on in the olden days. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and in these days now, it's balanced. It's really starting to get there. Um, and they're seeing the importance, and not only of the financial planners, but the financial planners helping to teach the people that are their clients. Okay. So it's a two way street. It isn't just the planner, it's the planner and his clients. So tell us about your method. Yeah. So, and I developed that once I was able to go independent. Um, I, I got trained. I got trained on how to become more productive. And I integrated that with my practice because I wanted a more of a lifestyle practice and help my clients that way instead of pushing product. I was able to, you know, do fee for planning and, and build this lifestyle practice. And I realized I could do this for other of you know my clients and help them. And so I did. And while I did that, I also found there's a lot of financial advisors, fellow advisors who I started to do work for other financial professionals. And it dawned on me, it is the industry <laughs> that needs this help. And but I wasn't the expert yet. I was dabbling and I and I started to come up with this method. Um, I borrowed methods from um, people like uh, uh, David Allen, Getting Things Done, Dave Crenshaw, The Myth of Multitasking, who I know you've had on your show and actually worked um, closely with Dave and learned his system. But the issue that I find with a lot of these productivity gurus is they give you a productivity system. But as I would integrate these systems, sold these systems, train these systems for my clients and others, I found that after 90 days, I would go back. And if they had not retained me as a coach forever and ever in 90 days i'd come back and they were still um just as bad as as before i trained them and you know so yeah there's ongoing coaching and the need for that and i get into that in the last few chapters of the book of why that's sometimes toxic for for our society but the reality is people weren't weren't sticking to it so i came up with the make time method and that is be productive at work crunch that time and be really super productive but then so that you don't go back to becoming a workaholic again, you find how to spend your time in the other nine areas of life so that you build this pad and a lifestyle that you don't want to break. And how do you also, help people, though, reprogram the hard wiring? Because in the neural pathways, you know, no matter if it's a financial planner or it's your dad, you know, your dad was a workaholic, most likely in a plumbing business. Um, he probably had employees. Um, you guys were whatever he had. He had trucks. He had people. And so the reality is, is that he was driven to be of excellent service to his customers. I can tell just by by who you are. And yet that didn't help him any. How did that work for him? You know, I work with, I told you I'm working with a doctor right, right. now. And, and my dad was the same way. My dad died at 52. He had a landscaping company. He was completely driven. And the doctor asked me, because I'm a kind of a workaholic as well, have been, he goes, how did your dad's life work for you? I mean, it worked for him. And the same thing you should be asking. But on the other hand, how are you helping people get out of that rut? Yeah. Because that's the most important thing. Something has to happen to get out of the rut. Yeah. And I call it the workaholic trap. You yeah. think that if I can just work hard for five years, then I'll start taking vacations. Then I'll start taking time off mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. But 
after I've done, you know, the system, the just the productivity system, I actually had a client who said, Travis, this is great. I used to be working 80. Now I'm going to be working 45. But now I have the tendency to say, well, I'm going to fill that time back up with productivity at work. And here's a guy with five kids at home. Here's a guy who professes to be, you know, serving in his church and doing all these other things on the outset. The reality is he wasn't taking care of his health. He wasn't taking care of his mental health. I think that's a big part of it is being able to to reprogram like you're talking about. And there's two ways. There's cognitive and behavioral. The behavior, if you're a behaviorist and you know this, Greg, uh, then you think, well, if I can change a habit, then that will change you know, the outcome. If you're a cognitive uh, follower, then if I can change the mindset, the pathways, then I can change the outcome. The reality is that the research shows when you use them both together, a cognitive behavioral approach is the best approach. So in the mate time method, I teach better thought patterns, but also better habits and a system that you can quantify. The other thing I do teach is how to utilize your spouse as your accountability partner so that you're accountable to that person. So you're not a workaholic again. And that quite honestly, Greg, that's my secret sauce right there. That has been far, um, you know, far beyond the best thing I've integrated in the make time method is helping um, spouses to be part and parcel. Now, that doesn't mean that they're cracking the whip, that they are, you know, telling them what they should be doing at work. It's helping to keep accountable so that they have a life outside of work. Um, it increases the relationship, obviously, satisfaction. Um, it also helps with individual um, happiness. And when the two are working together, financial advisors, you know, really important to know, it also helps the two to have better financial stability. So who don't, you it's know, great advice. It is yeah. question for you though, uh, looking at it, uh, you talk about values and the, to dis- discuss the values, but there's intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Okay. Right. You know that. And the extrinsic motivators for people that are driven, like your father, my father, uh, the desire to have more money, the desire to ha- have another truck, whatever, whatever it was. The point is, is that those can outweigh those intrinsic motivators, which is purpose and curiosity and all the other things that you need to have. There's actually five big ones, to be honest with you, and the uh, intrinsic motivators. What what would you do to help people really realign these values and look at the intrinsic motivators versus the extrinsic motivator? Yeah, you, you hit right at the heart on this one, Greg. So I consider it the make time method is like building a house. The values that you discover through the process can be life changing. Even just that one experience, just that one exercise um, and really coming to grips with what do I value in all 10 areas of life? And the way that that I experienced this was by writing my father's obituary. So what I have people do is I have them write their own mini obituary not the details of how they died, but what is it that they truly value in these 10 areas? They would want other people at their funeral to say about them from here. So so most people you would say, Travis, pardon for interrupting, but they're working on building their resume versus what their eulogy would be. You know, I've heard this many times. It's like, Hey, we're out here. 
trying to write another book or do this or do that. So it builds the resume, um, right. build a business, sell the business, become a, a successful business person. On the other hand, what are people going to say about you in the end? What's the eulogy going to be? Yeah. And that's the two-edged sword with my father. He may have been caught in that workaholic trap, um, but he did prioritize really well. And because of that, he gave a lot. Uh-huh. And in this industry, we have helpers. We really do. We've got people with the drive, you know, they're driven, but they're also, they want to help people. They, uh, most advisors, <laughs> they really do. And so they get stuck with, I've got, now I've built my clientele and I want to help them. And so you're caught in this service versus sales mode. Um, and so if you can truly identify what your values are from that obituary exercise and focus on those as your lifelong goals, you never have to actually set goals again. All you're doing is every year is you're reevaluating what those values are and you're deciding this year, here's the main action I'm going to take. Uh-huh. It's a totally different way of setting value or setting goals based on your values. And it's very Eric Erickson, you know, uh, appropriate looking. Well, back on, that's what know. I'm going to actually ask you is you yeah. mentioned Eric Erickson's book, Integrity yeah. Versus Despair. And you ask us as the reader to look back at our lives to ascertain if we became the person we wanted to become. Right. And you mentioned this is a crucial foundation piece for the 10 areas of our lives, which is what you've been talking about. Yeah. Um, what are those 10 areas? Sure. And uh, could you just review them for the listeners? Because I know we've seen the Wheel of Life, many of us. Uh, we've seen it many times, but maybe you've got something on the wheel that I don't know about. <laughs> yeah. You know, really, really good point. And I think um, as as I'm doing this and, you know, it's it's really boils down to to three main areas. Um, the three main areas we've got is really our our individual, our relational, and our financial areas. And I know everybody has their different wheelhouse and, and things, but really for me, what I found is that in your individual goals, you have mental health or self-improvement, right? You've got physical health, which includes pretty much everything uh, you know that, that uh, relates to, to your physicality and your spiritual health. Those are the three main in individual. In the relational areas, you have relationship with your spouse or future spouse, relationship with family, and that can be your close family or your extended family, relationship with friends, anybody who's not blood related that you know might be considered you know really close friends, and then community. Um, and then in the financial areas, you've got your career or business, and then you have your own personal or family finances. And that pretty much sums it all up for me. I've done a lot of, you know, life coaching and modeling and everybody has a different model. But for me, this makes a lot of sense. Individual, relational, financial. And, you know, career is there. And for me, career is number six on my priority list. Um, my father on his tombstone didn't have, you know, business owner. Right. Nobody would care. Like, the things that really were were the most important to him were was his family, right? And and uh, and and his legacy will continue on, and and his friends, and and obviously that's why you know close to a thousand people were there, not because of he was uh, some kind of business mogul, but because people loved him. And I think that is the change, Greg, that most people need to see is what 
what are they living their lives for? What is their purpose? And that is the foundation of building the make time method. From here, then we can create an ideal calendar and we can run that ideal calendar based on what you value. But and I think just- finding that purpose is whatever that purpose is. And people, you know, there's so many books written about how to do purpose. And the most recent one that I found that kind of puts it all together, actually, from a scientific standpoint about what happens biologically in your body, okay, um, the serotonin that gets released and the endorphins that are released and the things is to really, you know, if you're a curious individual, which most entrepreneurs are, every financial planner out there is probably pretty curious. Um, the curiosity intersects with passions, your passions, um, and then you develop a purpose. Um, and then when you apply goals and grit uh, to that, right? So you look at that and mastery and autonomy. What you now end up with, with all those great words that I said, is a pathway toward uh, having a eulogy, which is based on your purpose. Okay. Yeah. And, you right. know, you talk about smart goals, and that leads us to goals because goal setting is one of the areas. I mean, if you looked at pers- purpose, passion, values, and now we're talking about goals. You might even be talking about grit here. The reality is, is that talk with us about the SMART goals, because why is setting SMART goals important versus just having goals? Every financial planner out there has been taught that Northwestern Mutual doesn't matter, John Hancock, they're going to all set goals, okay? Because the, the business is goal-driven. And you're, let's face it, you are supposed to be a trusted advisor, but you're not as much selling as you are advising. Now, if we're out there talking to these people that are pretty sophisticated, going to the Dan Sullivan School of, you know, of uh, uh, spinning up your life, um, you, that's the way you're going to approach it. What's your approach to these goals? Yeah. So again, it's always it's all about the values. When um, when you identify those values, which are basically characteristics that you want to become not necessarily, you know, a a goal that you want to check off, right? It's a becoming. And we were talking a little bit about that. Then the SMART goals are attached to those values. So you go back to those values and if honest or successful or whatever is one of those values in your business, then you would set a goal that, you know, that year is SMART, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, timely for that period of time. Now, what I didn't include in the book is, what I also kind of have my coaching clients do is that you stretch it a little bit, right? If you don't stretch yourself enough and they're too realistic, then is it really forcing you to change? Is it bringing change into your life that is is what you want? And so what, when you set those SMART goals, they need to be values-based. Mm-hmm. And, and then that will direct you Really, from 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 the back, you know, forward, looking in that Eric Erickson approach of looking at life from the end instead of the other way around, then it brings a whole new perspective, and it really just becomes a goal as as a as an action as an action tool. And then at the end of the year, the end of the month, the end of the week, you can celebrate. You can stretch it if it needs to be stretched again. Like the end of last year, third quarter actually had the best year ever last year during the pandemic and all the shutdown. Um, I wrote the book and got everything going that way, uh, talking about balance in a crazy world we lived in. Uh, And 
I had to stretch my goals, business goals for that fourth quarter. And I, I find that when you can consistently be measuring and bringing those values and connect the values, that's the internal motivation. That is the piece that most people are missing out on is they're so busy with the external or the extrinsic motivators that they get saturated and goals are are something that, like you said, everybody wants to talk goals. Um, But if it's not internal, if it's not in their heart, it's not in their purpose, they are less likely, significantly less likely to achieve them. Well, there's got to be meaning and there has to be fulfillment. Uh, as a result of it, it isn't just a goal to go get a goal. Okay, I want to buy a Tesla or a new house on the hill or whatever it might be. And, you know, one of the things that we all are uh, have to be really cognizant of is how many hours there are. You know, there's 168 hours in a week, but how we spend those hours is important to accomplish the goals. Okay, so speak with us about kind of prioritization on goal setting. You have worksheets that people can actually download, right? Yep. Those are available. They can get those worksheets off of your website. Um, I thought those were good. I thought they're very good. But you know, as you start to pull all this together, Travis, in, and we've been speaking now for however long we've been speaking, it starts to get mind bending for most people. They're like, hey, all I wanna do is go do the next task today, right? They fall back into that same pattern that you just mentioned 20 minutes ago because they're like, they're so blown away by what we're speaking about that they're like, and there's no way I'm gonna do all of that crap those two guys are talking about, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So so while I I wanted to improve my time management and learned some of the techniques to be more productive, Um, what we need to understand is you need to have a time management system that actually works to get stuff done. And that needs to be as a part of the whole make time method. So the foundations, the values and setting the goals and the priorities, and then you create this ideal calendar and, you know, ideal calendar is not a new concept in the industry. Everybody has some sort of variable on it, but keeping it is a new concept of being actually to run it and do it efficiently uh, in less than, you know, your 40 hours. I work, you know, less than 30 hours a week, most weeks. Okay. And I have a six figure plus business and it's great, but it's because I'm incredibly efficient. I can delegate, automate, et cetera. So what do you believe in the time blocking or Pomodoro method? Because a lot of people are, are into the Pomodoro thing right now. And, you know, let's 25 minute increments and I got two set for this and so on and so forth. Do you, do you believe in that? Time blocking um, works really well, very, very effective. Um, But I I think the problem is time blocking without processing is one of the issues that I think a lot of people struggle with. If they don't have time to get a hold of all of their emails, their text messages, their voicemails and everything else and really process those through, then they're going to constantly be multitasking. And that's kind of Dave Crenshaw's thing, the myth of multitasking. But um, that needs to be in place so that they can run their ideal calendar. And that ideal calendar is really built on those 10 areas of life that needs to be completely built out, not just your business. And this is, I think, where a lot of productivity experts get stuck is they just focus on the business part. But the ideal calendar outside the 40 hours-ish that you're working is just as important as the inside uh, because it keeps you balanced. 
it keeps you energized outside of work. It keeps you um, from from having burnout, which a lot of advisors get to, right? They forget the reason why they're in the industry at all. But right. more vacations and time off, time with spouse, time with family helps to recharge. I get a lot of ideas when I get on my mountain bike and just ride. And I don't let anything distract me. I get great ideas, but it also allows me to, uh, A, be physically healthy and keep me going. Um, but there may be nuggets that just come to me. Revelation, um, when I'm doing those other things, you know, being mindful, having time to meditate, pray, read, whatever it is that works for you. All those things are should not be under uh, underrated. And then as you put that ideal calendar together, then it's the keeping it. Then it's to yeah. And, it, and you talk about productivity as the not being a magic pill. And I, and I want right. to say something about this because, look, in our world today with the technology, you just mentioned it, makes you more efficient. It can make some people freeze, but most people more efficient. Um, companies, no matter who it is, if you're working for Northwestern Mutual or John Hancock or you're an independent broker or whatever you might be, or you own your own business, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to today is. You're actually paid for your creativity, not your productivity. And I think we get this wrong because we're human beings and much of what we can do today can be done by a computer and is being done by a computer. I mean, look what you and I are doing. So the issue now is um, if we're to be creative, we need to have more free time to free up the brain, the monkey mind from running around in circles to be able to think up of the next best idea because companies today who hire engineers to do software, they hire them because they want creativity. They want innovation. They want people. I, I have a son who works for Adobe. So I understand this. So my point is, is that what would you advise to get off of the productivity mouse wheel that people are moving around in and really think about how you could really jack your business by being a lot more creative Versus yes. just running around in that productive circle. Yes. Well, some of those things I mentioned, like having time alone. <laughs> yeah. Mountain biking. Yeah. 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 Do whatever it is that you do. Have a hobby. Work cannot be your hobby. You should enjoy it. You should. We live in America. You have that, you know, availability to enjoy what you do. There's really no excuse. Um, however, it shouldn't be your hobby. You shouldn't go to work and then come home and work some more. But now laptops, cell phones, work from home, everything has destroyed what used to be balance, right? And so I'm kind of bringing balance back that you need to have these protectors. You need to protect your time. When I come home, I'm not thinking productivity, even though I walk through this door, I'm home. <laughs> um, I'm not thinking productivity. I'm thinking do anything other than work. So my brain has time to not think there and not go there. Now, most males. Well, you don't. have six kids, too. And so I have six you, kids. You, like that, you need that is to, my they are my balance. <laughs> they basically take you and distract you into sports and exactly. all the other things they're doing. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, hopefully, you know, you, I remember coming home. We used to play games at totally. night. Yep. Most people don't do that anymore. The game is on the cell phone or on the iPad or on something. That's right. And they're alone. I'm saying no games together, you know, like real games. Does that really happen? <laughs> you exactly. Know? I, I do things like I take, uh, you know, I, I have six children, but I spend time with them. There's a crazy stat that um, dads only spend seven minutes a day with their yeah. children. 
Yeah. It's nuts. I heard that when I first was in my PhD program, like that can't be right, but it's true, Greg. Yeah. It's true because we're so stuck to these things and we live in an individualistic society that is prone to keeping our eyes and our behaviors now, because of we know Facebook and, and social media notifications keep us glued there, uh, more more addictive than heroin. So it's really difficult addiction to get rid of. So I turn off my phone after six. I'm with my kids. I serve in my church, my community. Um, I spend time with my wife, but I have that all scheduled in. At four o'clock on Thursdays, I'm on daddy dates with oh, each one of my children individually, and I space those out. And have time for, for each one. Obviously, there's not six weeks in a month, so I have to overlap. But, you know, um, they love that. And at the beginning of every month, I have a meeting with them. My wife and I, we had parent councils with them and asked them, hey, what daddy dates do you want to do? And we do what they want to do. We're going to go look at um, how to recycle, you know, cans and, and bottles so my 10-year-olds my can make some money. We're going to um, play catch. Um, you know, I coach soccer teams. Like, I make that time happen. So when I'm not at work, I don't have any excuse to be bored and work. And I think that's what it comes down to. It comes to being in the workaholic trap, growing up with that expectation in the, in the financial planning field, and then not being able to get rid of it, rid of it, but then not filling your time outside of work with things that are meaningful and purposeful that can allow for that distraction to happen. Yeah. Um, no, you, you, I can tell that you're, um, you practice what you preach and that's important. You know, having six children, um, there were four in my family and I lived, I understand what it's like. Um, so in an effort here to kind of wrap up and summarize yeah. your book, what are the three takeaways you'd like the listeners? doesn't matter if they're, if they're husbands, wives, uh, uh, they're financial planners, they're business owners. What three general things would you like to leave the listeners with? In the book, there's three myths. There's, you know, first off, the myth that balance isn't doing it all. It's prioritizing. So prioritize your life based on your values, number one. The second myth is that the, you know, the productivity pill the man is the magic pill. It's not the magic pill. You need to be productive, but you need to have boundaries. Create boundaries in your life that'll help you stay balanced. And then number three, which we didn't talk too much about, we kind of alluded to, and that is uh, this myth of personal development is the end all be all, as Shakespeare says. Um, it's not the end all be all. It is a $56 billion industry and of which, you know, I might even be classified in coaching and helping and et cetera. But really the involvement of your spouse and your family to help keep you accountable, to keep you busy, to help keep you on the right track so you're not becoming that workaholic that we're really programmed to be is so crucial to achieving balance. Well, those are three good points. And I want to leave my listeners with this. If you go to travisperry.com, T-R-A-V-I-S-P-A-A-R-R-Y.com, you can uh, download the free book, like he just said. Uh, We'll have a link. We'll have several links in the blog. So you can do that as well. You also can go to Amazon, which will have a link to Amazon and get this ebook if you like for your Kindle, your e-reader. But on March 24th, is it? March 24th, go to achievingbalancebook.com and you can get it for shipping only, get the paperback and we'll, we'll ship it out to you. 
Awesome. So those are the three, four ways you can engage with Travis and do go to his website. And if you happen to be somebody who's listening as a financial planner and you want to engage with Travis's service, go to the website, click on it. You can contact Travis direct um, uh, through his website. And Travis, we really appreciate having you on. Thanks for your time. Thanks for being with us today and sharing just a little bit about you know your new book, um, which you wrote during this pandemic, um, which is phenomenal in of itself. Uh, and it's called Achieving Balance, The Make Time Method to Help Advisors Reach Business and Personal Goals in an Overworked World. It's by Travis G. Perry, PhD. Uh, go to his website. You'll say, get the book and bonuses right there um, at the website. You just click on the book thing and he comes up with a video and you can see the bonuses that are there as well. Yeah, there's, there's a three-hour training right there on, on the, the actual system. So it's it's worth just doing that, just getting those three hours. Well, Travis, blessings to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you.